On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the Yes albums Fly From Here and Fly From Here Return Trip. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this flight tonight, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory as we consider the pair of albums from Yes, Fly From Here, and the redone Fly From Here Return Trip. Hi, Ken. It's another palaver for two, my friend. I'm ready this time. I have been chomping at the bit to have this palaver, literally ever since we started this whole thing. I think in some ways, this album may have something to do with the inspiration for the palaver. I purchased Fly From Here, presumably, somewhere around the time it was originally released. I didn't really have any recollection of listening to it. I probably played it like once or twice and didn't really think about it. At some point, probably about two years ago, I was in one of my fits, and so Fly From Here, you know, popped up to the top of the stack. And for whatever reason, all the tumblers clicked into place, and all of a sudden, you know, not only was I on a Yestival, I really think I listened to Fly From Here probably a week straight. I mean, just this album. Over okay. and over and over again. Fantastic. I was just, I was stunned with it. And it was, you know, it was like discovering something, you know, that's been sitting in your backyard that you didn't even know was there. And I was so excited by it. Excited to the point that it, it really started getting my my brain thinking about other things. And so I, I think in some ways that led to the ultimate decision to, uh, to palaver because I was so excited about this particular album. You turned me on to this and it took me a couple of weeks, but I, I blew up as well. Couldn't, could not stop listening to it. Driving, running, no matter where I was, I had to have this. It's, it's really, really very good. So Fly From Here was originally released in June of 2011. It was produced by Trevor Horn and released on the label Frontiers. It featured Benoit David on um, lead vocals, Steve Howe, guitar, backing vocals, co-lead vocals on Hour of Need, which I did not know until I was preparing for this, so that's kind of interesting. Chris Squire, bass guitar, backing vocals, and lead vocals on The Man You Always Wanted Me To Be. Jeff Downs on keyboards, and Alan White on drums. Notable guest musicians include Oliver Wakeman, who played keyboards on We Can Fly and We Can Fly Reprise, as well as Hour of Need. That's fascinating. Louis Jardim played percussion. And one Gerard Johnson played piano on The Man You Always Wanted Me To Be. Then we have Fly From Here Return Trip, which was just released in March of this year. Also produced by Trevor Horn um, on the label Frontiers and... It features the same lineup, except we have swapped out Benoit David for one Trevor Horn on lead vocals, backing vocals, additional keyboards, and I believe additional acoustic guitars. Now the track listing, uh, the you know the the two albums are the same except for Return Trip has one extra song in it. So the tracks are Fly From Here Overture, Fly From Here Part One We Can Fly, Fly From yeah. Here Part Two. Sad Night at the Airfield, Fly From Here Part 3, Madman at the Screens, Fly From Here Part 4, Bumpy Ride, Fly From Here Part 5, We Can Fly Reprise. Then The Man You Always Wanted Me To Be, Life On A Film Set, Hour Of Need, Solitaire, and then this is where Return Trip adds in Don't Take No For An Answer, before ultimately Into The Storm. Fly From Here is the 20th studio album by the English rock band Yes, released on 22 June 2011 by Frontiers Records. After a four-year hiatus, Yes resumed touring in 2009 with a lineup of bassist Chris Squire, guitarist Steve Howe, drummer Alan White, and newcomer singer Benoit David and keyboardist Oliver Wakeman. 
During breaks in touring between late 2010 and early 2011, the group began to prepare material for Fly From Here, their first studio album in 10 years. The album marked the return of Yes working with producer Trevor Horn and keyboardist Jeff Downs replacing Wakeman as the pair had originally written what became the 24-minute title track prior to them joining Yes in 1980. Fly From Here received mixed to positive reviews from music critics and peaked at number 30 on the UK Albums Chart and number 36 on the US Billboard 200. Yes promoted the album with a video release of We Can Fly and worldwide tours in 2011 and 2012, during which David was replaced by singer John Davidson after he contracted respiratory illness. An alternative version of the album, titled Fly From Here Return Trip, featuring new lead vocals and mixing from horn and instrumental parts, was released in March 2018 during the band's 50th anniversary tour. Wow. That's a deep story with a lot of human beings there and a lot of years in between. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I sort of stumbled upon here is that some of the tracks here, um, such as The Man You Always Wanted Me To Be, I believe, was from a Squire project yes. that he was working on. Yes. So so you've got the you know the stuff from 1980, you've got the stuff that that Chris had brought in. What amazes me about this is given the fact that you know the the source material was relatively old, it doesn't really sound like it's from any particular time. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um yeah, speaking of time, I do have the source materials up here for the uh, Wikipedia timeline of progressive rock, particular to 2011. I declared progressive rock, you know, dead sometime in this period. But the um, kind of the more progressive, the the, the metal influence stuff is still raging. Uh, we we we've got um, Opeth, Dream Theater. Uh, even Queensryche still happening in this period. Now, Neil Morse has a solo album, uh, a whole bunch of things. And, and, and Vandergraaf Generator? I can't oh, yeah. what that is. Vandergraaf Generator. Yeah. I've, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're supposed to be yeah. really great. great. Yeah, yeah. Funky uh, British stuff. Um, so I, I'm not sure what they were releasing or re-releasing. Uh, Mastodon. Stephen Wilson. Uh, Grace for Drowning. So, you know, we've still got plenty of prog out there if, if you're looking for it. And, and yes, throws in this in the middle of all that. Did they do a private distribution? I mean, you were talking about charting in both the UK and the US, but to my knowledge, this isn't available through traditional channels. I, I believe when it was originally released in 2011, it probably was, which I'm assuming that's how I got my hands on it. I, I honestly don't know. Um, couldn't tell you, but certainly fly from here. Return trip was not available through what I would call normal channels. I believe it was a, it was only available through pledge music, but I do think that the original release was probably, you know, a, a standard mass market release. I don't know in 2010, if anyone was doing that, I think it was probably, you know, a couple of years before some of the specialized releases and, and everything else. I, I don't honestly know when, you know, the, the industry changed in that particular direction. Sure. Well, it, it's just an amazing album. Apparently it took, uh, what would that be? 31 years or something to yeah. come out? Uh -huh. That's, that's a long time. It's a long time. And you, you call it timeless. Um, I, I do pin, Point it to the 80s and I equate Fly From Here with contributions from Pink Floyd or Alan Parsons Project. I find it to be a bit dystopian. I find it to be um, a little bit new wavy in a sense that it has uh, keyboard synth sounds um, and, 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 and some slow tempos and it, it stays somewhat you know, diatonic. The, the the music is is more in the rock kind of a key signature rather than something jazz or uber progressive. It does stay. 
as much as possible in 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 the pop realm. You know, and 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 I understand everything that you're saying, and it you're right. It it in terms of the the construction of the music, it ties it in there. But I I think it was very much produced in 2011 Trevor Horn fashion. You know. Oh yeah. Which I think is leads to some of the interesting character of this particular record. It's pretty ballsy. Um, the way the guitars and the keyboards work together. And I'm sure that's uh, Trevor. That, that That's not something that um, necessarily Steve Howe uh, would have done on his own, that kind of production. Although, I mean, it was post-Asia, so maybe maybe he had picked up those tricks as well. Well, but, but it, I, I'm it, inclined to credit Trevor first. Yeah, and, and I was going to bring that up because, you know, this is sort of in the middle of of the resurgence of, of original Asia, right? And having just finished, you know, my own sort of walkthrough of those albums, Steve... Your walkthrough is pretty ballsy. If our listeners have not listened <laughs> yet, Joe is going solo, folks, and he's just kicking ass and taking names, the first name being John Wetton and the second name being Steve Howe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, n- nice go-round, Joe. You've got some uh, ballsy material, just you and Asia. But, uh, you know, so there there was a lot – Steve Howe and Jeff Downs have spent a lot of time together. Most of Asia is driven by Jeff Downs and Steve Howe, and and they, they really have worked out how to sort of trade that back and forth. There, you know, there are the jokes in, in Yes Lore about, you know, Steve and, and Rick may perhaps butting heads during, you know – Tormato and, and things like that and and even tales and struggling for ascendancy but sure. but the the musical relationship between Steve and Jeff seems to not really have any of that it, it's it's very symbiotic it's really very cool it's a band of brothers rather than a rivalry yeah so yeah. and they've matured by that point as we talked about when we gushed over drama there was something magical about having Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn and coming into Yes and and the songwriting styles seem to blend in a way that is perhaps unexpectedly good. If you had, you know, sort of wrote it down on paper and said, well, we're going to put the Buggles in, into, you know, Yes, it, you would have gone, what the hell? But it, it, you know, drama was spectacular. And I think Fly From Here is equally spectacular. No doubt. <laughs> Drama was awesome. <laughs> and I played that for a reason because Trevor Horn loves his E minor. He loves. I bet if you put a guitar in his hands, he just naturally plays an open E minor chord. And that's where he starts all his songs. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearkening all the way back to uh, Relax and Two Tribes with Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You know, I, I imagine Trevor could, you know, for two, three hours just pluck the low E on a bass and sing over top of it and write over top of it. <laughs> For some reason, Trevor Horn, I just picture him as E minor guy. Um, so Machine Messiah, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And sure enough, this opens up and it's... Um, and it's just beautiful. It's just like this E minor 9 kind of vibe. It's kind of Pink Floydy, it's kind of smoky and dreamy. It's just really beautiful. And then I love what what Steve Howe does. I call his technique Angry Birds. <laughs> it's just beautiful. He loves being up there high on the neck and giving you those little birdie notes. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, really so does. As soon as they hit that overture, they're playing with my heartstrings there. And I think that's really what does it, right? Because again, maybe you listen to it the first time and, and it doesn't really hit you and you're just like, oh, a bunch of little pieces. But but as soon as you sort of pick it, pick up on all this stuff and it, and it just kind of comes into focus, it it sounds like you had the same experience with me. It just comes into focus all at once. Now, having gone through the palaver and everything I've done and sort of, you know, enhancing my understanding and appreciation of Steve Howe, I can love it even more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and I don't know how we're going to, to deal with this, Ken, but obviously the the idea of of redoing this with Trevor Horn on vocals is an interesting one. And I think you can, you know, debate if you want to the merits of that or the wisdom of doing that. I spent so much time with the original version and I love it so much that I almost feel bad that I don't like the Trevor Rabin version or the Trevor Horn version more than I do. Right, right, right. I, you know, I, I feel I feel dirty. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with it. It's it's you know, it's just another interpretation. And the one thing I will say, you know, I've got to give Trevor mad props in in every case, but I think in most of the of the instances in this, Trevor Horn tried either by his vocal delivery and or by the mix he provides to really give it he, he gives the almost the whole album a reinterpretation so when you look at and, and let's talk about you know roger dean here much like the the two covers for this are variations on the same theme they're not exactly the same and you can appreciate both of them because they're both beautiful, even if they don't line up exactly right. I, I carry a certain amount of bias for the original, but I've spent less time with the with the Trevor Horn version, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But I just wanted to put that out there so that it's it's transparent where I'm coming from. Oh yeah, the original I listened to first, despite being a late comer. I adapted to that, and when I listened to Trevor Horn. I'm struck by how faithfully Benoit David executed Trevor Horn's style. So, and, and that's really funny because the lore has it that Benoit recorded this with guide vocal tracks from Trevor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I always swore up and down it was Trevor Horn singing anyway, at least in the Fly From Here section. Because if you, it was almost indistinguishable, right? In terms of of that, and I didn't think anyone could sound that much like Trevor Horn. So it's kind of funny when Trevor Horn actually redoes the vocals, and Trevor Horn sounds different from from <laughs> from Benoit. <laughs> right, right, right. But I just, you know, that was that was sort of my grassy knoll theory for the longest, the longest uh, I time. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how well the band kept track of how many Trevor Horn backing tracks remained in the mix when they were done. I mean, I mean, you've, you, you've got enough with Benoit David, Chris Squire, a little bit of Trevor Horn in there. You really don't know at the end what you're hearing. <laughs> it just, you know? it just sounds good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just fantastic. And, and, and it really does. I, I did come across a little something because you, you always, obviously Benoit David, I enjoyed his time in the band. I believe I saw them once, perhaps twice with Benoit. And I just, I really, really enjoyed what he did. There was uh, the video that one of us had, had provided of the band doing Machine Messiah, I think it was. With, yeah, that with, was fantastic. With Benoit. I, I played that, yeah, yeah. And if anybody wants to search that, it's Benoit David, Machine Messiah, Oliver Wakeman on keyboards, and they slay the tune. It, it, it's the best you know, live version I've ever heard. It's, it's phenomenal. So I really, really enjoyed Benoit. I, I, part of the reason I think I bought this album was because Benoit sang on it. I thought this is great. And, but he wasn't, obviously he left the band very quickly after this. The irony being that he joined the band because John Anderson had to leave because of respiratory illness. And then ultimately Benoit had to leave the band due to respiratory illness. And, you know, there's there's some discussion as to when he was told he wasn't in the band and, and how it all came about. But I, I did stumble upon a quote from him from an interview I found compelling and I wanted to bring to the palaver. In another interview, David explained the reaction when he explained he would be unable to commit to April 2012 dates because of health problems. Quote, at first, everybody was a bit surprised, thinking there was enough time for me to get back in shape. But since the issue was unsure, I suggested somebody take over. 
They said, well, fine, if you can't do it and you're okay with it, we'll look around. It's not like they asked me to step aside at all. He also says, the guys, in yes, aren't getting any younger. They've waited years at a time for their singers to get better or finish other projects, and I don't think they can spare that time anymore. They're in great shape and playing well, and it felt terrible to be the one to stop Yes from moving forward. Can you imagine if they waited for a year and I still wasn't better? If I can't sing those songs, then what's my relevance in that band? Not know knowing how long it's going to take me to get better, I feel much better. There's somebody doing the shows and taking the music to the fans. Wow. What, yeah. what a phenomenal perspective on life. And so now I'm an even bigger Benoit David fan. Exactly. Do you have any additional sort of general impressions? I mean, you've you've kind of you dove into this fairly recently, and, and you had the, the benefit of having both versions at the same time. We saw uh, Tom Brislin, right? And he said, oh, yeah, I've got a song in Odd, in odd Time, and that's going to check a few boxes for you prog rockers in the audience. Um, I'm kind of the same way with, with, you know, I do look for those check boxes and, and fly from here checks a lot of the boxes. You gotta admit, <laughs> you know? I, I think it checks the boxes. I, 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 maybe, maybe I'm being silly. I think it checks the boxes in a way that it seems very natural. Good. Okay. You know, it's, it's not like they said, Oh, we need an odd time part here. Let's just stick that in. And I think we're going to, I, looking ahead, as we talk about Heaven and Earth, I think there's at least one example on that album where something like that occurs. <laughs> you're just, okay. you're right. just like, all right. But, but yeah, fair enough. And production-wise, natural often means just a subtle amount of room-sized reverb with, without too much depth and too much obscurity. And, and, and fly from here... Is, is very present in the speakers. The, the instruments are no more than, you know, six, eight, ten feet away. You, you, you're right there with it. It is a very natural experience being with a band in a room. You get a, a honest, natural effect just, just through the composition, through the lyrics, through the, you know, the story and the way they produced it, the way that Trevor produced it seems to be pretty natural as well. All right, so we start off, obviously with the fly from here overture and who doesn't love a good overture you know until you're familiar with it all the overture maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to you but you know after you're familiar with the entire suite you're just like yeah i love the overture <laughs> well it's pretty much a normal rock instrumental it's going along i already played a few of those licks but where they really find kind of new ground is, is is I'll say Jeff Downs when they hit that when they hit that one descending line with the Christmas bells and then like and it's so powerful they just like the descending line and then and, and but Chris is still there with a, a pedal tone on the low E chugging away there. There are a lot of um, syncopated rhythms where Chris is kind of picking a pedal tone, you know, and that's that's endemic of the, you know, the title track, the, the next movement. Yeah. So so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant work there. They're bringing in um, a lot of suspense in the overture. And then we move into Fly From Here Part One, We Can Fly. I think what we saw in Philadelphia when they performed this was part of the overture into We Can Fly and then they finished up with sort of the big the big bombast from the reprise is, is how it worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I love, love this bass line here. I think it's, there's so much going on between Jeff and Steve. You have to, and it's odd that you, I have, I'm going to say this, but you almost have to go and looking for Chris at some point. But once, is true. once you go find it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Chris Squire's a badass. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if the remix happened, if, if this happened because the remix occurred after, you know, Chris's death. But there are a lot of instances where, or at least a couple instances, where Trevor really brings Chris way up in the mix. 
and brings everyone else back. And so you, you don't, you know, in the, in the, in the return trip, you're just like, okay. Oh, very astute observation. Yeah. I'd have to agree with that. Well, as for the piano beginning of fly from here, it's been said in spinal tap, the movie by (laughs) Nigel, that D minor was the saddest of all keys. It has been said. Yes. But man, the, the, this is a, a, an A minor tune, at least in the beginning, and it is so sad. Just, just the descending line from Jeff with the plinky plinky, and then this, this lonely airfield. And, and I can't imagine who this poor gentleman is living or hanging out or working on this airfield, perhaps a ghost, perhaps a human. And it is just, just I can almost... I can almost see the tumbleweeds like blowing through Britain. Well, it, it, exactly. So, so we moved now into "Fly from Here" Part Two, "Sad Night at the Airfield," and this was the this was the section that I first honed in on. I think it was that that feel initially, and then when you start listening to the lyrics, I love a good progressive rock ghost story. You know, give me "Home by the Sea," give me "Sad Night at the Airfield," and perfect. So there was there was some sort of resonance here, and while I'm not 100 percent certain what this whole story is, and and the images that they projected during the show in Philadelphia didn't really help clarify it, although they didn't do Sad Night at the Airfield, I do think this very much, this section at least seems to me to be very much a ghost story. The mm-hmm. you know you've got because you've got these these two people who are you know on this empty airfield, nothing else is going on. And they're only together until the dawn, right? And then they're gone. And I just, it's its spooky and it's creepy and it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. There's that line, that last intake of air, and then the bass and piano comes in and it just crashes yes. all over you. Yes. And yes. you're like, oh, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I call this album... Uh, a momentary lapse of Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> you did call it that, yes. You know, and and it, there's that um, that's that space and that sound effect uh, before the tune that that you, you, it's theatrical. It's something. I, I don't I don't know what it's supposed to be. It takes me to the um, the rowing sounds in momentary lapse of reason. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that I, is I, cool. I love the soundscape. I, I wish we had our resident sound designer Tom Corcoran with us to uh, elaborate, but um, but 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 they throw that in here on here, and it, it tickles my heartstrings. So it, it's funny. I turned the page to continue my notes on "Sad Night at the Airfield," and and one of the things I see here is a note that says, first person ghost story harkens to Invisible Man." I totally forgot about the Invisible Man connection. But, well, Home by the Sea was friggin' beautiful too. Yeah, Home Home uh, Home by the Sea is great, but I think you know when I was as I as I see this note and I remember what I was thinking. Obviously, the Invisible Man part is is very first person. I think with Home by the Sea, you've got sort of first and third coming in and out a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, Invisible Man is all about something happens and he's trying to figure out where he is and what's going on. And I think there's, there's a part of that here. Another cool thing is uh, there's a line, so cruel, the world that we leave. And again, you get that, that heavy bass coming in right at the end of this, of this segment is the, the group of lines, turn your life around, turn your world around, turn your self around, turn this ship around. And just the the power that, or at least in the original, that Benoit delivers those, it just, it slays me. I love it. And it's interesting. So the remix then gets totally different and you get sort of the extra harmonies. You get more keys and more acoustic part to this. So, you know, again, Trevor Horn, he, he, he gives you a, a different spin on it. They're both great. But I, you know, I would prefer the first one just because that's what I'm used to singing very loudly in my car. <laughs> there is so much going on here. <laughs> you know, they hit all of the awesome keys and all of the awesome licks. And it, 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 it's just 
a, a great composition. That takes us into Madman at the Screens. You know, when we talk about the story and what the story is about, I, I have a note here. When did we get on a ship? <laughs> yeah, that did bother me. I think I think I think I, 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 I sense mixed metaphors. Now, maybe they have a logic. Maybe they have a reason. But the bottom line for me is you're in the sky. Stay in the sky. I always viewed the airfield, despite the fact that they're talking about prop shaft airliners, I always viewed the field as a like a, an abandoned military field. There are some lines in here where they talk about props from other lives. We've all been to military installations that have been turned to museum, right? And they always have like the little mannequin standing there in the uniform or whatever. That's what I was thinking of as I was listening to all of this. So, that works, totally. So, so what I was thinking with Madman at the screen is you've got these military pilots who are going off to attack a ship. So now you've got sort of another part of the ghost story. But I could right. be totally wrong. Well, I did find the, the, the video from the show. And we caught the video at Yes50. Maybe other people caught it a decade earlier. I don't know. Or <laughs> You can find it uh, on the YouTubes. And uh, a guy is in an airport. And he's sensing something. He's trying to find something. He runs down a stairway. He falls in the stairway. It takes him back in time. He ends up on a plane, but then he's suddenly piloting the plane, much <laughs> like he's in a dream, jumping from one section to another. And by the end of this ordeal, he's survived some kind of a, a, a choppy flight with a lot of drama. And he's at the bottom of the stairway with a bump on his head. So he's he's fallen and had a dream or fallen and gone back to an actual past life. Interesting. Madman at the screen, we have Steve Howe bringing back the return of the abrasive guitar tone. Yeah, he's a mixed bag in this album, isn't he? Yeah. You know, and, and we haven't heard that. He's got a huge bag of tones, but we haven't heard the... You know, the Relayer era scrap metal sound for right. a long time. And now all of a sudden, here it is. <laughs> and he takes it out and he beats you with it. And in the remix, it's even it's even more harsh because Trevor brings that really far up front. So you can't escape it in any way, shape or form. Oh, wow. And I just I I find that to be amusing. You know, it's it's. Mm hmm. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. To, to... I mean, I think I think the, the thing that that's Matt... what you're getting at with Steve Howe, right? Oh, no, that no, no, that's OK. That. No, there okay, there right. is. Um, it's the it's the strums underneath that. It's not that lead part that is just like. <laughs> and, and like I said, in the remix, it's even it's. It's just right in your face, and it's kind of like, oh, Jesus, please. Oh. Given everything that that Steve has done and all of the, the acumen that he's demonstrated, I have to think that Steve's trying to make a point when he's doing that. 1974 Steve maybe wasn't fully in control of himself. 2011 Steve knows exactly what he's doing, I think. <laughs> so, you know, while I find it jarring at the same time, I'm sort of forced to to accept the fact that Steve is doing this for a reason and my job is to figure out what that is. Okay. You know. <laughs> well, it, it is madman. <laughs> well, and I think that's that's part of it. They're they're trying to convey you know, some sort of instability, right? Yeah. And and, yeah. and I think it, you know, it does that. Like I said, it's, it's very jarring. It puts you off your game. Mad Men at the Screens is not my favorite part of this, but it, I still love it. It's a bit it. long for a third movement. Yeah. You know, it's five minutes and 16 seconds by my calculation. And there's a lot to digest, and I'm usually zoned out halfway through. <laughs> yeah, there there is a lot going on. And then it goes from there right into Bumpy Ride. Oh, um, the harmonies. I'm playing a bit of it now. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I got to say, 
the overall composition is is pretty brilliant. And and that's what makes it, you know, palatable, really. So that takes us into part four, Bumpy Ride, which, you know, it, it I view Bumpy Ride as, as really just sort of a, a transitional setup from the main story back into the reprise. It's jarring. There, there, there's something going on there, man. They're really, they're, <laughs> I would say that is unique to Yes. You, you could not get away with that in a Pink Floyd album. You probably couldn't get away with it in an Alan Parsons pro- album. It's maybe a little bit more in a Steely Dan vibe. It's it, 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 it's challenging me with that that bouncy rhythm and the, and almost and and the almost jazz aesthetic it, but 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 <laughs> sequence jazz or something it's 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 dangerous territory for them to be in but here again aptly titled bumpy ride right so they're they're yeah. taking you somewhere in a perhaps uncomfortable fashion you know there's there's a great sort of keyboard and bass build up before alan comes in which is always very cool and then it bridges you from Madman back into We Can Fly. So that leads back into the We Can Fly reprise. And the only note I have here is splooge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but that, yeah. that's, what a, that's what a reprise is, is designed to do, right? Yeah, it's, it's just totally works. Jeff in all his glory with that big, fat, moogie, spoogy synth sound. <laughs> Totally works for me. Yeah, and at this point, at this point, you know, it's a very majestic progression. And they're all major chords. It's just like four big ass major chords in your face. And it really takes you to the anthemic part of yes. Yeah, it's 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 like it's such just such a release, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it literally is a big splooge. And you're just like, that's fantastic. Love it. I honestly have not heard or seen the videos of when Yes performed Fly From Here in 1980. My guess is it was probably similar to the version that we saw in Philly in July in terms of the construct. Because in the making of DVD that came with the original version that I have... You know, they talk about, you know, Fly From Here was something, and then they sort of expanded it out. Yeah, um, I did get a sense of the lore. When we went to Yes 50, I I ran into an old acquaintance, Mark Beck, big Yes fan, and he had constructed the 1969 logo with the dialogue bubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the, the big bubble letters, Yes. So I turn around, there's a guy with kind of a a gas station style vintage shirt with those patches on it just looked fantastic as if yes opened up their own gas station in 1969 <laughs> i'm like my god mark after we went back and forth online he made sure i knew the fly from here lore he said i'd add a comment about fly from here and go through this being played on the drama 1980 tour and how go through this is probably the inferior of the two songs. There are plenty of early versions of Fly From Here as well. And the demo, fantastic on YouTube, actually has Bill Bruford. Apparently, Alan White was not available, and they were able to get Bruford to come down to the studio to make that initial demo of Fly From Here. And I checked it out. It, it's, it's a nice little you know, tight drum part. Um, it's an interesting version. The vocals are a little rough on Trevor Horn's part, but it definitely gets the the, the, the idea through. Uh, let me see. Sad Night at the Airfield also has a Trevor Horn demo. So I, I was not able to find that one quite yet. Yeah, he turned me on to the uh, Benoit Oliver Wakeman connection and some, some other lore here. It, definitely a lot of history getting into this through the years. Having just finished working, obviously, on the 90125 episode and all that we talked about with that and sort of the the unexpected path that led to that album and the magic that came out of it, I find it interesting that you have a different but an equally 
um, unlikely set of circumstances that lead to yet another, in my opinion, groundbreaking album from from this band. Maybe we're lucky it didn't get released. You know, maybe if they rushed it out right after drama, it would have been half baked. Maybe this was the kind of composition that actually needed to gestate for a decade. I don't know. Well, 31 years. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the gestation period or the half-life? I don't know. It's, yeah. Something's going on there. Are we progressing in the order of the original release? Yes. Okay. That takes us to the man you always wanted me to be. We've talked about about Chris and his vocals. We talked about it on, obviously, the 90125. We talked about it most recently on Magnification. When Chris Squire vocals are, are lead vocals and they work, they're just magical. I love the sentiment of this song. I love the sort of genuine way it's delivered. It doesn't feel as sappy as maybe it is. And, you know, it's not just Chris because you've got Benoit and presumably Steve in there as well. And just that 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 vocal blend again. And, and you know, we, we always come across this with Yes. You know, as you have all of these different vocalists and the ability to sort of mix and match them. And sometimes, you know, depending on on the various ratios, you get, you know, different outcomes. It provides enough of depth of of palette to, you know, keep you interested. I just I think it I think it's fantastic. I wanted to hear it with just Chris. There may be a reason that it's mixed as densely as it is. He's primarily a backing vocalist. And yeah. we know from his solo albums, he comes off a little thin as a lead. I think I'd be willing to sacrifice a little bit of production uh, to take this to a slightly more uh, acoustic, more natural place. But it, they, they cut a pretty good balance with what, with what they did here. Yeah, I, th I think so. There's a line in here that, that just slays me. It, it sort of captures the essence of everything. From some other part of me, I'll summon the strength to see me through. From deep in the heart of me, to be everything you want me to. And that's when I start to be the man you always want, you've always seen in me, the man you always wanted me to be. I, I just, that's just brilliant. Freaking love that. <laughs> what I find interesting about this is this is one of the tracks where there is not much difference between the original and return trip presumably Good. because there's not any need to or it's out of complete deference to chris i'm not quite sure but however that works these two i think are, are really really close to each other mm -hmm. i laugh not because it, it, it it's funny just because it's it's true that line about some other place in me i don't know where i'm gonna get the energy but Damn it, I, I'm going to find it, you know, that, that feeling. Well, yeah, and I, you know, the way I always in, interpret that is, you know, the person that he's singing to is is worth that level of effort to to f whatever, it, whatever it takes. Even if I don't yeah. understand how it's going to, how I'm going to do it, you're worth doing that. And I just, I, you know, I'm a big gushy romantic and I think it's spectacular. Score. Now, the production on the man you always wanted me to be takes me back to – I took courses and did what I could in, in sound engineering and, 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 and went to great lengths to record my friends. And there is an early phase, I, I assume, in the journey of most sound engineers where the most beautiful sound coming into a mic is kind of a natural un, – un, unadulterated sound, particularly, you know, acoustic drums and acoustic guitars. And the way they captured the man you always wanted me to be is in that zone. It, it, it's such a kind of a close proximity, lively, but, you know, acoustic tune. And I hear that era and for me that would have been you know the 90s and 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 it, it just takes me back whether they meant it you know to have kind of that uh 
rookie level, junior level, honest feel like a home demo, or if that's just what happened. It's hard to say nature or nurture. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a very, very pure sound. I mean, and, and if I wanted to be cynical about it, you know, a record exec would say, oh, that sounds like a demo. Give me that. And, I'll, and, and you know, and I'll, I'll put it in a hall. I'll put it in a concert hall and make it spiffy. And, you know, if it were tomato, we could put in fake crowd sounds and it's going to sound amazing. You know, you know, you know, you know, but 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 I, I'm partial to that that pure recording experience. And that's where that track takes me. Cool. Life on a film set. If Sad Night at the Airfield was the primary key to this album for me, Life on a Film Set was the secondary key. Wow. This is one of those areas where I think the the difference between the original and Return Trip is most striking. And, and I don't know if he was just looking for a different space to operate in, but I find Trevor Horn's vocal on this to be significantly less eerie than Benoit's is. Really? Benoit's, Benoit's presentation of this song spooks me the freak out. It is just creepy, and I love it. Okay. Um, what I noted is that this was a true Trevor Horn, Jeff Downs composition and seemed to retain their dynamic not in a dancey buggles sense, but it doesn't have so much of the yes influence. Yeah, and, and that's that's true. And maybe that's maybe that's why I respond to it. I don't know. It is decidedly different. It's not something you would normally hear on on a yes album, right? But at the same time you still have yes, you've got Alan, Steve, and Chris elevating it into the realm of what you would expect. This is um, another B minor piece. Um, I forgot to mention that the uh, Fly From Here 2 is a fantastic B minor piece. For whatever reason, um, it takes me into comfortably numb territory because that's you know, one of the most famous slow synthy B minor pieces there, there could be. This whole feeling, this whole space in life on a film set, it is creepy, but it's about kind of seizing the day, right? It's about being, it, it's slow, it's sad, but it's about you're in a special moment in life and you're seizing the moment. So, Ken, do we have soundtrack dissonance going on here? Yes. We love soundtrack dissonance here on The Palaver. You could very much take the words and throw it over top of something a little spunky and make it, you know, kind of seize the day kind of a song. Yeah. You're riding a tiger. That moves us into Hour of Need, which was written oh. by uh, by our friend Steve Howe and sharing lead vocals on that, which is very cool. You know, for what it's worth, I think I think Jeff has some great sounds on this, and and this song is probably the one of the most significant differences between the original and Return Trip with a new intro and outro being added on the front and back of this respectively, which the note I have here is I think that intro and outro are very Asia, which leads oh, me yeah. to believe it was probably, you know, Jeff, you know, doing his thing. Oh yeah. But, but the lead, how was in the lead? I mean, the, it, 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 it's, it's meant to have that worldly sound with how out front doing some biting, guitar notes and uh, Jeff laying that texture and their deep toms. It's, it's, I don't know. It could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tibet or something. They're taking you somewhere. <laughs> because I know where, what it originally was, it, it seems very obvious that the intro and outro were sort of bolted on. I would love to sort of experience this without that knowledge and see how it flows because I, I like the intro and the outro. I think they're very cool, but I can't stop yeah. thinking that they're, they're added on. But again, it, it helps provide that sort of distance from the original such that, you know, return trip ultimately does not invalidate in any way, shape or form the original. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like, well, we didn't really like the way that turned out, so we redid it. It's a complete reinterpretation. So it's it's totally okay. And I think the two of them, and in fact, since I've since I've been doing this, I have had experiences where I, I pick one or the other on purpose. Mm-hmm. So very cool. I have to quote uh, Mark Beck once again. Hour of Need is part of Steve Howe's Portuguese portfolio of songs, including Your Move, Wondrous Stories, and Nine Voices. And we love the Portuguese guitar. We love all of those songs. We do. We love the Portuguese guitar. Right, right. Yeah, and it would be remiss of us not not, not to point this out. They've uh, tracked it, such as there's one obvious Portuguese guitar in one side, and I think it's just a standard acoustic guitar on the other side. Um, Interesting. Which, in fact, in, in fact, uh, probably because Benoit David was such a badass acoustic guitar player, it was probably legitimate for them to record that way. Wow. You know, even if it was Howe playing both, it was it was something that they could le- legitimately do live. Lyrically, it's one of Yes's best and most uplifting songs. For everyone, water to drink, either we sink or swim. Now, I attribute the uh, social equity tunes primarily to John Anderson. But here, they're, they're kicking ass in the age of uh, Benoit David. Clearly, there was sympathy between Steve and John. So the fact that, that Steve would bring part of that, you know, in the absence of John, I don't think is terribly shocking either. That takes us into solitaire. The note I have here is what needs to be said. One of the things that I have really come to appreciate on my journey and i know i get crap in the palaver and i you know i i'll probably get crap in the greater yes community for poo-pooing clap whereas every other steve acoustic track that he's put on yes albums i've enjoyed tremendously okay so there's just something about clap that i I'm not saying it's a bad song. For whatever reason, I just don't care for it. And it annoys me in the stream of that album. These other acoustic tracks, I've really, really enjoyed. And again, part of part of my discovery through this is how spectacular Steve Howe is with an acoustic guitar. With the exception of Clap, Steve can do almost anything on an acoustic guitar, and I'm going to be enthralled by it. And same thing here. Okay. I'm a huge mood for the day, mood for a day fan, having spent time uh, fiddling with it, you know, coming up with my own way to play it. And um, my first impression, quite honestly, was solitaire is no mood for a day. It doesn't mean it's not full on Steve Howe you know, taking ownership of this acoustic guitar and delivering. He, he's fantastic. It just wasn't something that I could sing in the car. It's, it, <laughs> okay. It, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it's kind of a, a sit back in awe rather than hum along with it. Every new Steve Howell lick that I learn reminds me that I will never be able to play. <laughs> I learn one and I forget the previous one and I, 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 I get it up to speed one day and I can never get up to that speed. Steve Howe is just, just a raging guitarist. Just And, and he, he was that way out of the gate. Yeah, he's exactly. And, and like I said, for me, the, the greatest part about this entire exercise has been developing, you know, an appropriate and healthy appreciation for Steve Howe. The story behind this that I heard was um, uh, Trevor Horn would have entertained solos from anybody in the process, but Steve was the only one who stepped up to the plate. And I think that makes sense. So now we get into the, the big difference. So Return Trip has the extra track here that does not appear in the original, and that is Steve's Don't Take No for an Answer. And, you know, it's not often, if ever, that you get Steve Howe singing a lead vocal. Well, okay, so Hour of Need is really gorgeous with the blend of Steve Howe and David 
Benoit David. Uh, I, I would say primarily because Benoit David has so much range, so much flexibility, so much tone. He could probably blend with anybody. Right. Right. He does a great job blending with with Chris Squire. An amazing job blending with Hal there. Um, so so Hal is present. So don't take no for an answer. Is, is taking that to the next level. So it, it's interesting when you look at this this series. Now you've got Hour of Need, Solitaire, and Don't Take No for an Answer. So you have three tracks in a row that are straight up How tracks. Yeah. You know, the only writing credit is How on all three of those. And you know, I know here on the Palaver we had had a little bit of fun with Steve when he performed Roundabout with Bill Bruford and some other dude on like some American morning show when they were promoting sure. their, their symphonic thing. And, and I think it took tremendous balls to do that on national TV. At, at the same time, you know, you, you've sort of come across with this idea of, you know, maybe Steve shouldn't sing lead vocals, but I find I really, really enjoy don't take no for an answer. It's, it's decidedly different but I mean, when you're listening to Yes, you know, you're so used to that sort of super high John Anderson, Benoit, John Davison, whatever range. And then you get someone who sings, quote unquote, in a normal range. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Um, th this tune has a 70s vibe. He's singing through some kind of a filter. The um, string sounds from Jeff kind of take me back to the 70s. And the drums are just a little bit groovy in a 70s style. This is where I would like to hear a full Alan Parsons treatment. I would say the drums are pretty dry well, I, in comparison to the, the wet keyboards. Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say. The, the, the overall production of this track is, I, I don't mean this to sound disparaging, it's a little less slick than maybe we're used to on the rest of this album. Yeah, I'd like to hear a full-on, you know, slick it up and, and make it sound like Eye in the Sky. Yeah, it's weird that given everything else that Trevor did on this remix, that this song comes out sounding the way it does. It just, again, I'm not saying it's bad. It just, it's it seems an interesting choice. There are other redeeming qualities. The tones with the, the brief guitar solo work is, is fantastic. He has more of a kind of a standard rock uh, in your face w without the abrasion. Yeah. Overall, I would say if there was one thing that kind of left me wondering in the album, it, it's kind of the drum choices in Fly From Here. Now, maybe they, they, they cut the drums first and they just got some really, you know, pure, clear sounds and they stuck with them the whole way. But I, I could imagine them in some places a little tighter, a little more compressed, a little more controlled, less cymbals. And in other places, you know, maybe even just just a little bigger and a more reverby. I, I feel like the drums kind of hit a middle ground and stayed there the whole album. And then that brings us to Into the Storm. Oh, I love it. <laughs> What a great tune. I'm glad to hear that you're so into it. I yeah. was, um, you know, there, there, there are aspects of this that I are not necessarily my favorite, but then there are some aspects that are over the top, just wonderful. So for me, I like this song sort of in spite of myself sometimes. So I'm glad to hear that, that you are so on board with with this song presumably as a whole based on the enthusiasm that i'm hearing from yeah. you yeah yeah it's really great what does kind of blow me away consistently in all yes from anderson the trevor horn benoit david john davison is just how freaking high these people sing okay <laughs> how up there in the range because this one the melody starts gently on a b now a b for most male singers is like, it's not even in my range anymore. I used to have something up there when I was younger. But, and now, like, I, I listen to this track and I'm amazed. Like, 
he starts up there in the stratosphere and just gently sings that and stays up there. This is one where Chris Squire, you know, takes the low road. I suppose at that point in his career, he was a little less ambitious. It's, he's not doing the close to the edge type of backing vocals. Let's let's just say that. That's the first thing that jumps out to me every time I hear that first verse. But I'm such a sucker for the the tempo and the groovy little guitar and bass things going on. It's great. What gets me, like, I'm okay with that, but I my rocks get off when they hit the armies of angels are starting to form, bathed in light uh, of the break of the dawn. Armies of angels are leading me on, take me away from the heart of the storm, take me away, take me away. And it doesn't matter which, it, if it's Benoit or if it's Trevor singing that, it's that that section right there just gives me goosebumps all over, and I absolutely love it. I don't know if that lyric is meant to go in two directions. I sense a dichotomy. I mean, it, it, the angels could just be taking him to death, or they could be saving him. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and well, and yeah. You know, yeah. There, there is something. I. Yeah. Maybe it's too much to say almost sinister about that, but yeah. You know, there's there's a certain urgency with which those lines are delivered and 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 the music kind of ramps up in, in that in that section. So that's you know, again, that's just sort of what I'm looking for. There's this awesome wah-wah on the bass. On the reissue, on the on the um you know, Trevor Horn version, he pumped up that a little bit more and, and Squire is just jamming the whole time. And when they get into the part you just mentioned, you particularly have that bass pushing you. Fantastic composition there. And Oliver gets a uh, songwriting credit on this. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Given that, I I should look for more Oliver somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that finishes out Fly From Here. It was an undiscovered gem in my backyard. And when I discovered it, it was... It was eye-opening. It was inspiring, which was very, very cool. And and then oh, that part you like—it's actually in seven. Just throwing that in there, just for all the geeks out there. <laughs> but, but but the ascending bass line, the, the, that 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 great angels thing, plus it's giving you suspense because it's in seven instead of eight. So yeah. that's that's how they're really manipulating us there, and they do it beautifully. I love it. That's great. And then to have the whole thing reimagined with Trevor Horn and, and you get sort of a different spin on it. How often do you get the opportunity to revisit, you know, something that you've already done in a way that, that again, doesn't invalidate the original, doesn't detract from it, and you can enjoy them both sort of going forward. That's a total bonus. I guess we should point out... and. It, kind of late in the game this is only the second yes album ever put out without john anderson singing well this is known as drama part two in some circles yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know if the yes community will appreciate momentary lapse of anderson i, I hope that catches on i'm really pushing <laughs> for it <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe I should get on the Twitters and, and start a campaign. Maybe you should. I, I yeah. do I do think it's funny that, you know, the when they when they went to replace John, they wound up with a guy who actually in a lot of ways was was I think more similar to Trevor Horn than he was to John Anderson. So you know, that the the relationship between these songs and these two singers, it, you know, it, it seems in some ways almost natural. Um, and, and, and expected, but, uh, very, very cool. Rock. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we invite and solicit your input, your feedback, your questions. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You're also welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription and download on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.
I mean, he, he's he's legit. He's not just the guy from the Yes cover band down the block. Excuse me a second. Oh. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me.